Hey guys, it's Dave Chang here, host of The Dave Chang Show. You might hear me on with Chris Yang, Noel Cornelio, and a host of other guests. We've been on air for quite some time now, and it's changed over the years, but one of the things we always try to talk about is what's delicious, how to be a better eater, and you might hear me rambling incoherently, contradicting myself every five minutes. We talk about some sports and culture and all kinds of other things too. I think we're the, the most expert opinions you'll ever hear about anything. Check us out if you haven't before on the Ringer Podcast Network. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringer's Prestige Podcast feed. I am Van Lathan. You know what? I'll, that's messed up when I do that. You're supposed to introduce your co-host first, and then yourself. Joining me from the Ringer Music Show and the Midnight Boys, a pew pew, is Charles pew. Holmes. I am Van Lathan of Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay. And, of course, Midnight Boy, Pew Pew. We are here to talk about episode four. This episode five. This is episode five. This is the half. This is the halfway point of the season. Halfway point of the season. Episode five of Atlanta. Cancer Attack is the name of the episode. Now, we're picking up back with Urn and Paperboy and... Uh, <laughs> Darius and Socks. <laughs> Darius and Socks. Uh, after we left them, after the sublime episode four, the big payback, we are now back with the crew. And this episode is centered around a missing phone. All right. We're in Budapest. As we're in Budapest, uh, Paperboy has a show. By the way, more insight into just how big of a rapper Paperboy has become. Very interesting that he is to the point now where he is on like a Make-A-Wish kids list. What did you think about that? Oh, I thought it was it was very interesting. I think the genius thing that they did with this season um, in the second episode when we get reintroduced to everybody is they play that trick of like, oh, this isn't his first European tour. This is his second European tour. So what we're seeing slowly through this Season is Earn as a manager is way more competent. They all have more money. Paperboy is more successful than we've ever seen him. And it's like Earn says something to the effect of like, hey, I didn't know we were this popping in Budapest. We might have to come tour this again. So a make a kid, him being big enough that a make a wish kid is just like, I want to meet him. 
really does kind of paint to you that like what would he be comparable to? Would he be comparable to like a Rick Ross at this point at like a Teflon mm. Don Rick Ross maybe at this point maybe one rung under? Maybe is he at at this point is he like a young thug? Hmm. You know, um, it's hard to say because, but maybe a Teflon Don Rick Ross. Maybe he's the. Wait, actually, no, because he hasn't got the Jay Z verse yet. I can tell he hasn't got the Jay Z verse yet. Well, but Rick Ross had the Jay Z verse because he was on Def Jam. All right, true. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he was like, Jay Z was the president of Def Jam. I'm not saying that Ross wasn't big enough for the Jay Z verse, but, you know, they were also like pals and stuff like that, you know? Um, So, uh, yeah, so. This episode, which is written by uh, Jamal Alori, is one that's difficult to peg for me in its intent. I liked it. I liked it. I thought it had some of the funniest moments that we've seen in the season thus far. Uh, and we're going to talk about a couple of those. But essentially what happens is Paperboy does a show. There's a weird occurrence before the show that he does. Um, and after that, he realizes that his phone has been stolen. He's lost his phone. And the rest of the episode is them trying to peg who has stolen the phone. They think that they have the guy. They uh, they uh, endeavor to interrogate him for a large portion of the episode as he is just weirder and weirder and weirder. <laughs> um, And then, of course, there is a huge twist at the end of it. I, I guess this is what I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out Although I liked the occurrence and the happening of what was happening, I like I liked the fact that we got a really couple of really funny moments from socks in this. Really funny sock stuff, like super funny. Uh, and some other things that are were really super hilarious too. I'm trying to figure out and. It, Maybe it's not a fair thing to do to the episode, but I'm trying to figure out what the point of the episode was. I mean, I, I think here's the thing. This season of Atlanta has been difficult. I think it's been as ambitious as ever. I've had a lot of fun. There's still funny moments. It's still, even Atlanta, when it takes a dip, is still one of the best shows on TV. But I think this episode kind of illustrates the struggle of it in this season in terms of like, can they recapture that magic that we've seen in uh, in season one, season two? Um, because we know the tricks now. The reason we know the tricks is because people have watched Dave. They've watched uh, Reservation Dogs. They've watched all of these different shows, Southside, that are spiritually indebted to Atlanta. So Atlanta's trying to do all of these different things now to stay fresh. And I had to watch the episode twice. Can I pitch you on what I think the point of the episode was? I love it. Wag, wag, go. All right, so we get three versions of Paperboy fans in this. And what's interesting is, is that the three versions of the fans are all white. We get the young cancer patient who, when Ern thinks that he stole the phone, <laughs> this guy is, quote, having a cancer attack. And, like, his parents are worried. Everybody's worried. And he's like, stop. I'll do anything for Paperboy. Then we have the second version of a fan, which is Socks. He's the white dude. Every, like, I feel like every black person has met a white dude who, like, wants to be down so bad. Like, he's cool. Like, he's funny. He hangs out, but he wants to be, like, he wants to be a boy. Like, he wants to be with us. And 
you see kind of like the complications of that. He's the second type of fan, the type of, and I've interviewed a lot of rappers, the type of guy you pick up on tour and you're like, how did this guy get in the crew? Like, how did, why is, why is he here? He's in the hanger on. <laughs> and then the third and the most important fan that we see is the paperboy Stan. This is the, the, the fan that thinks, doesn't empathize, doesn't sympathize, as he says, but feels the same as Paperboy. He is the, and that is the complicating factor of there, none of these fans can really understand Paperboy because hip hop is a black art form, but they all go like, go through their different kind of journeys of like, I know I understand Paperboy. I understand what he's saying. And that complicates it when you're like a white fan trying to understand uh, a black art form because there's only so much you will ever get. You can always be a fan, but there's always going to be that percentage point where it's just like, no, this is inherently a part of the black experience. Hmm. So that that was expertly put, by the way. So in, I'll interview you now. So in hanging out with those three different types of fans, what do you feel like the episode's intent is on us as far as it relates to learning about Paperboy. What do you think those three different fans tell us about the characters who are driving the show? So I think we have to remember that Paperboy is geographically far from home, but also socially, economically far from home. And if any of these fans were any different type of race, a lot of it would have landed differently. And I think what we're reeling is, is that re- what we're realizing is, is that Paperboy reveals he hasn't recorded any music in in seven months. He's, right. He that has a huge cre- revelation. Yeah. He has this creative block. And the reason that he wants the phone is because he finally captured a melody, captured a moment. And he says, like, I don't even know what's good and bad anymore. And he finally gets to that creative block. And I think the reason that that creative block is happening is because the closer that Paperboy gets to success Mm, and the further away he gets from who he is as an artist. And that's being reflected here. Wow. And that shit happens with our favorite artists. That shit happens with like a hove. You know what I'm saying? Like when you listen to a J record in in 2022, Sometimes you're like, oh, he's rapping about art. He's rapping about everything he owns. And like, and it's cool. Like Jay's like the greatest of all time. But there is a sense of like, oh, once your favorite rapper crosses that threshold, what it happens to like a young thug, a baby, a Wayne, there's a certain part of them that they leave, that part, that struggle, that, oh shit, that they're capturing the black experience. And I think that's what the episode is trying to grapple with. Hmm. I agree. I disagree fundamentally about the Jay-Z thing, but you're still right. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> I'm not saying Jay, like, I like <laughs> right, right. Later day, some later day Jay songs, but... I, know, I, think, I think that just as an aside, that those guys expand the Black experience as they continue to talk about uh, things that they're coming in contact with as they like evolve out of the places they were. However, I do think, to your point, what we've defined the black experience as sometimes as the consumer, it gets difficult, more difficult to access. See, we don't think that art 
or we don't think that real estate or we don't think that those things that Ho might be rapping about, we don't think that they're the black experience, but we're actually wrong. Like all of those things are accessible to us. All of those things should be accessible to us. And all of those things at one point were accessible to us. So sometimes I feel like I appreciate guys like Jay-Z pushing us out of the comfort zone. But to, to your point, you're still right. You're right. But I disagree with the notion. You're right. Oh, I know. Because, I, I I think I think you're completely right in the fact that yeah. like what Jay's rapping about is is laying a blueprint of blueprint. Hip hop is such a young genre. We have we have yet to get a Beatles or a Rolling yeah. Stones where a senior it's like, circuit. Yeah, yeah. But I think the thing that I always crash up against with Hove is like I remember when you know he partners with the NFL when all oh, the no, that no 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 no. Yeah. And like when right, he's like yeah. trying to rap all mm-hmm. that like shit and like there's always that thing where I'm just like, oh, yeah, Hove is he's dealing with different shit where it's like me on the ground as someone who doesn't have money. I'm like, no, fuck the NFL. Fuck what they're doing to these black players, these black coaches. And Jay is like pitching him his version of just like, no, to change the system, I got to be within it. And I'm just like, I fundamentally disagree, but also I'm not a billionaire. So. And these are the problems that we're going to start seeing Paperboy go through. Yeah. And I know that for sure. <laughs> and, and this is, I think this episode lays the groundwork. And I think the funny thing that we have to remember about socks is that at one point, socks almost says the N word. And like, it's this, it's played for laughs. Oh, that is fucking hysterical, bro. Cause like, he pauses. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I want to say that the two funniest moments, the three funny moments of this entire season, I'm going to stop right now to get, we're at the halfway point. The three funniest moments of the season to me. The first one is the actual visual of the three slaps to me in the first episode. When he when the when the when the grandfather walks over. Wait a minute, bro. That was so hilarious to me. When the grandfather walks over, slap, slap, slap. That was fucking hysterical. Nothing else in three slaps was funny. Oh, very scary. Oh, 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 I disagree. I would say my one of my top moments is when they're all the kids are all in the van and like they're communicating with just oh, their eyes mm-hmm. and the <laughs> and the guys like these white women going to kill us and mm-hmm. then the girls like yeah nigga I know. <laughs> um what's the other two? So the other two so there was funny stuff uh, in all of these episodes. Funny stuff. Oh, by the way, I've fallen in love with Nando's Perry Perry uh, because of the Old Man in the Tree episode. That's funny stuff in all of these episodes. But when Socks grabs the phone <laughs> and goes full taken on the phone, when he white grabs Liam the phone, Neeson. <laughs> I'm the white Liam Neeson. That whole series, <laughs> that, that whole sequence, and then Al and Ern realizing that he said white Liam Neeson. And then this is what Atlanta does so good is they go back into their characters and they'll simultaneously themselves, they're at the same time giving totally different energy. Ernest like, yo, did, did you mean Samuel L. Jackson? Yo, that <laughs> Liam Neeson is already white. And it, 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 that's hilarious. And then when he almost says the N-word, realizes that he almost says it, and then gets the fuck down the hall. That's just fucking hysterical to me. I mean, I, like, and I love how, like, they go back, like, Earn, Darius, and Paperboy go back to talking, but then they do, like, the black thing with black friends. Like, they turn around and be like, wait, 
did he almost say the N word? I was like, yeah, yeah, he definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like you be with your, you be with, with your, because it just it's such a small thing, but we're always on edge sometimes uh, as black people waiting for the disrespect. We're waiting for it, and it we we almost like we have a sixth sense for this. And when he goes there, he might as well just have said it. And then he realizes, and then he gets on down. I mean, I also think it's very funny that they're dealing with two crises with two different white boys. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even though he almost said the N word, it's the classic black person to be like, "All right, we gonna that's on the back burner. We gonna get to that shit. <laughs> mm. We have to handle this thing first. So let's talk about your second archetype of Paperboy fan, which is the Paperboy Stan, who is the gentleman in this that we are interrogating for so for so long. Is his name Willie? His, his name, name is, uh, I, I believe it's Wiley. Wiley. His name is Wiley. So let's talk about Wiley. Uh, brilliantly played. I, one thing about Atlanta that always gets me is how the performances in the show are consistently top-notch. Yeah. Like, consistently top-notch. Uh, it, it, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm, I'm like, Jesus Christ, who is this young actor? Like who like 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 who is he because he was eerie, he was disgusting, he was uh he was moving. I was moved by him at one point. He has to be able to be funny, he has to be able to sing. Like it's like what I liked about when they keep talking to him. I think that was the most electric part of the whole episode is that your opinion about him changes the more that you learn about him, like you're mm-hmm. annoyed with him, you hate him, but there's certain moments where you empathize with him because he says something to the effect of he he connected with Paperboy because he got broken up with or a girl in eighth grade broke his heart. He had to move. He listens to the first Paperboy mixtape. And like, that's when he's like, I, th- I felt the same. I felt like you. And it's such a kind of thing where it's just like, I felt this way sometimes when... And here's the thing. I anybody who loves hip hop, please like do it. But there is a there is a level of how much can you get hip hop if you're not black? And I know that's gonna that's gonna sound rough to the ears, but it's it's the reality of the situation. There's some things that even me sometimes when I listen, I have to be like, oh no, I don't get this. I didn't grow up like this. I didn't grow like there's a certain level of like. I can sympathize, I can empathize, but I don't feel the same. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I listen to Little Baby sometimes. I don't. I do not feel like this. Like, mm. and I think can, that can, can, like once again, you're right, but I disagree. All right, why? Why do you disagree? Tupac used to have this song. Well, he didn't used to have this song. He does have this song. Uh, he had this song called "So Many Tears." Right? Do you ever heard that record? No. Back in elementary. Thrived on misery. Left me alone. I grew up almost inside my mind. Couldn't find a place to rest. Till I got that thug life tattered on my chest. Like, and and I remember when I was at about 14 or 15 at my angstiest, right? When I started to like, Tupac was talking about in so many tears. He was talking about like how he realized that he was going to die and go to hell. And how everywhere he turned there was like nothing but bad stuff like shed so many tears you know what i mean so like he couldn't trust his girl um he saw violence all around him all of that stuff right 
I didn't exactly have those circumstances, but my angstiness of 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 being at a time, and I was growing up in a very rough place, but my angstiness at that time and not feeling like I had any outlet at the particular time that Me Against the World had come out, like not feeling like I really knew what was going down, feeling like at every turn... I was I had a lot of anxiety. I was worried about the end of the world because of nuclear war, which maybe I should have just kind of like paused on that and picked it up now. <laughs> um there were so many different things that were concerning me that sometimes I felt like everywhere I turned there was bad news and like there was a and I didn't feel that way because I felt like somebody was going to come get me because I was involved in the thug life. I didn't feel that way necessarily because uh you know, I was <laughs> stepping over uh, bodies when I when I exited the door, even though people in my neighborhood were uh, getting killed, I just felt that way. And even though, and I think that's the interesting part about this episode, even though the experiences were different, like feelings, all humans have the same feelings. We have different experiences, but we have the same feelings. So if you're sad, it doesn't really matter why you're sad. And I think sometimes people don't get that. You could be sad. I mean, we always what we what we want to do as a way to both connect to people and a way to disconnect from them is we want to make feelings the same. We want to say that your feelings, if you are getting bullied at school, are different than your feelings if you don't have any money. But they're really not the same. You feel isolated and they, they, but they're really the same. You feel isolated and alone. It's just one for is for is one is for much more serious reasons to us, right? And so I think that's what music does. I think I, when I was a kid, I empathized with Kurt Cobain, and I was living in South Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he was way the fuck up in Seattle, like really crooning about white boy problems. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 I mean, not, not to, you know, Kurt ended up taking his own life, so I don't want to make light of no, that all at respect, all. No, all respect. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want to make light of that at, like, light of that at all, but, like, it, I, I still empathize with them. Now, I think what, what you're saying is, what's interesting about this episode is I couldn't, there are a lot of rappers out there that I can't identify with. Like, I've never in life, you know, savaged the block and, you know, took aim at an op or sold a, a, a zip or a pack or any of those things. But the struggle that would make you want to do that, I feel like you can understand that coming hmm. from anywhere. You know so, what I mean? So my past, I think I, I talk about it differently because my past before I got here, it was my job to interview rappers. And mm. I, I learned that, like, I would look around Rolling Stone and and I would be like, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, interrogate this later. But when I looked at the Black people, there were not many of us in the office. I'm like, oh, we're all of a type. We're all from the North. We're all light-skinned. Um, the white people don't feel threatened. So when I would go, and a lot of times I would go down to the South, rap, when I would meet rappers, there would be this tension where, like, Lil Baby would call me Velma. Future would, like, clown me. He would be like, you look like The weekend Because there was this tension of, like, who is this guy? And, like, I would argue with the rappers. When I went to Atlanta 
with Lil Baby, the reason that like I get how Paperboy feels is because me and Lil Baby were arguing. This was right around the time he releases a song about pol- police brutality. And he says something to the effect, like he, we were arguing about like all lives matter and maybe all, all police aren't bad. And I was just like, hey, Lil Baby, like it seems like you're trying to have it both ways. I think like to inherently change the police force, we're going to have to tear it down. And I'm talking about all this shit. And he's like, no, that's not true. He's like, I've, I've experienced police brutality. I've had a cop beat me up. And they're still good cops. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think there can be like good cops in a corrupt system. And we're going back and forth. And I realized, I was just like, oh, I'm talking about theory. I'm talking about the theory of like police brutality and what it would take to, to make a better police force. And he's talking from experience. Like I've had racist interactions with cops. But I've never been in jail. I've never, like, a cop has never beat me up. And I can sympathize with him. But there's a certain level of just like he's talking about an experience that's outside of my realm. And I'm just like me trying to come down here as a light skinned black man from the North, trying to teach him all this stuff is, is fundamentally flawed. Like, it's just like, and I left being like, it's not your job to change Lil Baby's mind. It's your job to try to understand him and sympathize with him. And even if I don't agree inherently with him, that's fine. And I think a lot of times it gets, you go one level above if you're a fan that's not black trying to be like, no, but I feel the same. That's what this stand of paper is like. I feel the same. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's so interesting. That's inherently flawed, I think. Like you can sympathize and empathize, but like mm-hmm. feeling the same is, is robbing somebody of their singular human experience. You couldn't be more wrong. I couldn't be more wrong. Even when you were talking to, even when you were talking to, to, to baby, right? That's your job. It's your job to put, like, <laughs> yeah, baby's had it. I, I, I have been beaten up by the cops, right? Like, I have been beaten up by the cops. I've been beaten up by the cops, like, but I've also had cops let me off when they should have taken me to jail. I got Charles. One time, I got pulled over by the police, and the policeman goes. Son, you have, I was on my way to Best Buy. I was in my Best Buy work uniform. He goes, son, you're driving on uh, expired license, expired registration, no insurance. He was like, this, this is totally illegal. But I see you're on your way to work. So I can only pray that you're trying to get yourself out of this sad situation that you're in. Go ahead, boy. He didn't say boy. He said, he said, go ahead, son. Go ahead. Get to work. And please take care of your business. It was a white guy, right? It's a white guy. He, and he, he let me go. That changes nothing. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that he did that. And I and I and I know that there are cops out there that are that are that are just trying to do their jobs. And you I know, think there can we'll be get... good people who are also cops. I don't know if there can be good cops. But well, that, that was the argument that Lil Baby and I were having where it's but like, the point is, I can't but, change his mind on that. But the point is, it's your job to try. And it's his, it's his job to, like, it, it's your job to try. And it's his job to reiterate to you that his experience is one of authority. He doesn't have all the answers and neither do you. Nobody, nobody has to, there's no rank to be pulled. Like there's uh, like, like no one can, you, you say you didn't experience police brutality. I disagree. Did you watch the George Floyd video? Yeah. You experienced police brutality. You're not a victim of it, 
but you experienced it. The emotion that you felt when you watched the video was real. So like you're not, you haven't been a victim of it, but you've experienced it. Baby has experienced it in a level to where he's had so much contact with law enforcement that his opinion on it actually might be tainted. Because mm. if you meet, if, like, if, like if you meet a hundred cops, I'm not saying he's met a hundred cops. Well, however, of course you're gonna meet a good one, but that don't change. You, you, you know what I'm saying? But like that doesn't change the fact that like, like the the entire system might be corrupt. So everybody's experience, everybody is is equally yoked. It's the only time is when you try to claim authority over mm. somebody's experience. When but you I, try to, go, I'm go also ahead. talking about the. I had to get the political thing because like everybody, like here's the thing, like blackness to me, or at least how we're treated, isn't always equal. I understand that I have a level of privilege, like being light skinned. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, I've had cops like pull me over and like I'm in like my a suit and they're like, is there a gun in the car? And then they just like start swarming the car. Like shit happens. But I'm, right. I realized that like that same year, the cop almost drew down on me because of a flashlight I had. The cop, look, he didn't almost draw down on me. No, he almost shot me. He did draw down on me. A fla- I had a flashlight on the dashboard, that I, a saber light that my father g- gave me. The cop, a cop pulls me over, and he looks. He says, "What's on the dash?" And he and I'm like, "Huh?" And I reach for it. He pulls his gun. I'm like, "Yo, it's a flashlight, yo, it's a flashlight." And then I have a panic attack, and they have to call the paramedics. So, so <laughs> he pulled his gun on me. So, so, Jeez. so we have to get back to the show. This is an interesting tangent. We are that's we, we no we we should really be called the Tangent Boys. But, <laughs> but, but, but let me tell you. Um, let me tell you what specifically I thought about when I saw him. When I saw the the the, it's funny that you mentioned the senior circuit of rap. That's what I thought about when I saw him talking to his stand. I thought about the Rolling Stones. I'll tell you why. A whole generation of rock music experienced by, uh, like, inspired literally, literally by a handful, a handful of black performers. Muddy Waters, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, all of those guys. A handful of black performers. Even, you know, horrible guy, but even early Ike Turner stuff in the history of rock and roll. Like, like, like a handful of them and they take it and they they <clears throat> they take the the emotions and they re they they repackage the emotions through their cultural translation and then give the world some really great music but then kind of kind of use those artists as a stepping stone what got to me is when that guy started playing he was fucking great mm-hmm. and it was a talent that was undeniable the same as mixed talent the same as Lennon's talent, the same as uh, Robert Plant's talent. Like, like it was undeniable that he was great. And the question is whether or not it's original or derivative because it's coming, the inspiration is coming straight from Paperboy. Oh, shit. You know what I mean? It's, it's, It's coming straight from Paperboy. So he got, and so when I thought about that, I'm like, oh, then you even have the same thing and sometimes I feel like Europeans are even more inspired and <laughs> and uh and you could John Stone, Amy Winehouse, yeah, like like more Adele. inspired by by Black American music, and it feels like to your point earlier, 
when American artists do the same thing, it feels like they're doing karaoke. And it's not that the Brits don't, but for some reason, maybe the history in the country makes it feel a little bit more genuine uh, when 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 kind of like they do it. And this is not to not to diss, but Sam Smith versus Justin Timberlake, it feels different. Like I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not not it's not here to shit on more Justin Timberlake. Wait, it so Justin feels Justin Timberlake is socks and Sam Smith is uh a little bit is, <laughs> like, like Sam like, Smith is wild. Yeah, Justin Timberlake is and by the way, you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, I don't mean to pile on Justin because I'm actually a Justin Timberlake fan and I, I like love Justin. Music. Justin got some I, joints. I don't forget Justin, what Justin he did got to a Janet, lot of but... great music. Like, yeah, right. But what he did to Janet was essentially he stole the phone. <laughs> I mean, like, wait, wait like, can, I, he, can I also connect yeah. something really quick? Yeah. Do you think this is going to be super meta? But, you know, uh, Donald Glover has had some choice things to say about Dave. Dave is uh, a show that is very Atlanta inspired by Lil Dicky that was all No, I didn't see FX. what he said about Dave, so tell me. Yeah, my bad. So he was essentially in this interview magazine piece that he interviewed himself. He was talking about some comments he made about Dave on Twitter. Like he saw, he said something to the effect on Twitter of like, I see everything y'all are saying, uh, like blah, 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 blah. And in this interview magazine, he explains the difference between, you know, high art and low art. He explains the difference between like a smash burger and dry age Wagyu. I did see that. I did see that quote. Yeah. And he's kind of trying to not dunk on Dave by dunking on Dave by saying it's a good burger. Like, we know what that means. And the reason I bring that up is because Wiley in that moment, he's talented, but he knows everything about Paperboy. He studied Paperboy. He studied all Mm -hmm. of his moves. He knows unreleased music. He knows everything about him. And then in that moment, he recreates a song that Paperboy is trying... Like, he recreates a feeling that Paperboy is trying to express. And it sounds amazing, but it's not Paperboy. And part of me was just like, is this a little bit of, like, a meta shot at Dave? Where it's like, you can look at everything Atlanta did. You can understand everything that Atlanta did. And it could be good. But it's not Atlanta. <laughs> what? I don't. <laughs> you I look, yo, yo. I'm gonna be honest with you. <laughs> this nigga sneak dissing. <laughs> like, bro, like we see you. I didn't even put that. Man, this is like a doing this part with you is like a like a fact finding mission. We're like two. <laughs> We're like two little moon nights in the Cairo desert. Great Marvel show. Check us out on Charles Loves It. Um, we're like two little Mark Specters. Like, yeah, it's a little sneak dissing going on. Maybe. Maybe. And also, uh, well, let's talk about the... Should we talk about the twist at the end of who had the sure. phone? Sure. Let's talk about it. So they, they spent all this time looking for the phone. It seems obvious that Wiley had the phone, right? Because of he knows the phone's number. He uh, is is singing songs and all of that, but at the end unreleased we find songs, yeah, unreleased songs. Um, at the end, we find out that Socks has the phone. The entire time, Socks has the phone. He takes the phone and he throws it in the trash. Now, you guys, we're spending a lot of time on the meat of the episode uh, because there is a, another thread in this episode where Ern is reaching out to Van and uh, Van is not getting back to him. Okay. Uh, so there are more things up in the air here, uh, 
in this season of Atlanta. Also in this season of Atlanta, you see just how good Earn is in this episode of Atlanta. You see just how good Earn has become at his job. Oh, well, let me, and here, you can read me talk about it more on TheRinger.com. I wrote about Atlanta this season. I really want to touch quick on that, on that Earn part. I think another thing that we're seeing in this season is that in season two, the, sen- the tension is that Paperboy is upset with Earn because he's not a great, he's not a great manager. And like the whole tension is like, is Paperboy going to get rid of Earn? And I think the underlying tension of this season is that the closer that they get to success, the closer that they become like that black, those black inhabitants under the lake who bought whiteness, Earn is comfortable in this world. What Wiley says to Earn is like, did anybody ever tell you that you talk white as a kid? How does it not feel being part of the group? And I think in that moment when when Paperboy is essentially like, hey, we haven't talked in a while, you good? And like, Earn is too busy to talk to him. What we're realizing is, is that Earn is adopting better to this white, this new white paradigm than Paperboy is. And now the thing has changed. Paperboy is afraid that all he will ever be able to do is rap. Well, Earn, Earn now has a second client. He has that UK kid. Earn is really, really competent as a job. He's talking to all these white people. He's talking to all these billionaires. And I think that's very, very intriguing. Like, you it's see that tension now. super intriguing. Do you know why? And the reason why it is, because by the way, when, when they ask, I'm from Baton Rouge, right? And y'all listening to me right now, and y'all thinking, damn, that nigga don't sound like Lil Boosie. <laughs> That's not how Kevin Gates talk. You know what I'm saying? That's not how Webby talk. That's not how NBA young boy talk. That's not how Fredo talk. You know, and so you guys are listening to me. So I've been on the other end of that, right? I've been on the other end of that. Hey, man, you why are you talking white, bro? I'll never forget one of my cousins. One of my cousins beat the shit out of a guy. We were at the basketball court. <laughs> it's a true story. We're at the basketball court. We're playing basketball, right? And... You know, I'm scoring, I'm doing my thing. And uh, this dude from Mayfair was like, hey, man, you're like a Uncle Tom. You talk like a white boy. I was Damn. Like, you like an Uncle Tom ass. Like, I, we didn't know them. And and my big cousin's like, yo, don't ever talk. Don't tell him that. You want him to sound like one of y'all? Be out here on the side of the road selling T-shirts for the rest of his life? Damn, and, and and I never get this. And they're going back and forth. I'm like twelve. They're like they like they're like they're like going back and forth. And all of a sudden, boom, he hit him. I'm like, oh shit! Like, <laughs> what the? F-? And then and then and then he's. I never forget. Beautiful guy, uh, my big cousin. Gold mouthful of gold teeth, just dragging this boy around because he didn't want me <laughs> to associate talking like that, or 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 articulating myself by the way there's no right way to talk guys language is a tool and wherever you are if people can understand you you're using your tool so and Ern, no right Ern way to went talk. to uh princeton, princeton i believe so like yeah. he like there's a thing about Ern that he's better at this than paperboy because he's had to adapt yeah to white because, surroundings which is my point so Ern is finally uh from from having been probably like that guy said Ern is finally making use of a lot of skills that maybe he didn't get the opportunity to le- to, to 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 use uh when he leaves when he left uh college for guys sometimes like us who come from the neighborhood a lot of times you feel like an outcast there but then when you get to some place like the ringer 
or when you get to some other place out there, you have to remind yourself that the person that you were in on the streets of Baton Rouge is who you really are, right? It's like always remember to, re- to, to remind yourself who you really are because these other things like your love, your love of Star Wars and your, <laughs> your the way that you talk and all of that, those are just things about you. But who I really am is a nigga from South Baton Rouge. That's just a fact. So it's it, I took that from from um that's going to be a challenge not just for P- Paperboy but a challenge for Earn. Uh, it's going to be a challenge for Earn to stay connected to Al because Earn's career is going to have a longer shelf life than Al's will. And Al talks about that in this. He's like he didn't really want to rap. This is he all he felt like he could do. And like, I always tell people this, the thing that always made me feel bad as a reporter is I'm like, you know, my career is going to last longer than a lot of the rappers that I cover. It's just, if you're in rap and you have a five-year career where you're hot, you're an anomaly. Most people are not Jay-Z, Kanye, Drake, Wayne, whoever. Most rappers get two years of hotness and then we never fucking hear about them again. And I think that's what Paperboy is afraid of. Earn can be a manager for the rest of his life. Paperboy can only be hot for a couple more years. Mm. It's true. Damn, we digging. God damn, and, we, and we, before we, we in go, this episode so deep. No, we gotta we, go. We gotta go back. We gotta go back. To, we gotta go back to the. We gotta go back to the cell phone. I know. I know because I, I have a theory on the cell phone. I have a whole metaphor for it. All right. So uh, socks at the end of the episode tosses the cell phone. Now, in between this, we get some great stuff with Wiley. We get. Uh, Wiley calling for the guitar. We get a Wiley <laughs> fart joke. Uh, and it sounded like one of those bad ones, too. Oof. It sounded like it, it just trickled stink. out. Like, yes, yeah, thanks. Smells like a bag um, of Burger King. We get, we get Wiley, who is a character that all throughout of it doesn't seem to know who he is. That's very key. He doesn't seem to know who he is. He smokes and he doesn't really, he says cigarettes are terrible. You know, he's given the wrong age. The only thing he knows, and this is a lot of times the situation with the stand, the only thing he knows is that he feels like Paperboy. It's the only thing real about him. Mm. His age isn't real. His, his, uh, his, his smoking habit isn't real. The only thing that's real is his ability, it's his, really his talent. And his ability to feel what Paperboy is going through. And that sometimes is that thing that makes you feel like you're far away from someone when you don't really know them. Like, that guy is a guy that none of them know. None of them know. He, they, he is purposely throughout this episode other. They think that they... The guy doesn't even know if the dude is really his nephew. I mean, he is, but he doesn't know... He really doesn't know him. Nobody knows him. And you don't really know those fans that are stands like that. The only thing that they ever get to show you is this weird, opaque sort of emotion, this, like, thing out in the ether. And so by the time he, he has a real connection with, uh, with Al and with us, it seems to be the only thing that's real about him. Mm. You know what I mean? It, like, it is the song. It seems to be the only thing that's genuine. That's why when we get to the end of the episode and he doesn't have the phone, Socks has the phone, it is a complete mindfuck because it's almost like it undoes everything that we just watched. I, I, I still don't understand what it really meant for Socks to have the phone. What did you think about it? 
So I, I watched it twice and I was just like, oh, that is a genius moment because Socks tells you who he is the minute he almost says the N-word. And, but they know Socks. Socks is better at blending in with Paperboy, with Earn, with Darius. He's one of the boys. But what we have to remember is why Paperboy wants this phone. He wants this phone because it finally connects him back to his roots. He finally found his voice again. He literally found the voice that he's been losing the farther he gets away from Atlanta, the farther he gets away from his people. And that is a threat to Sox. Sox does not want Paperboy to go back to old Paperboy. The stand, Wiley actually w- would love that. He loved Paperboy's first mixtape. Wiley actually is in support of this. Socks, on the other hand, if Paperboy go, has that phone, gets that song, records that new song, realizes, fuck being in Europe. I need to go back to Atlanta. I need to go t- touch back with my people. Socks is never going to hear, hear from him again. The, and that, to me, is the whole metaphor, is that sometimes the people who are closest to you, the people who need something from you, especially when you're rich and you're famous and you're this rapper, and especially when you're a black man, don't have your best interest at heart. And Sox is a parasite. He does not care about Paperboy's art. He cares about his proximity to Paperboy because as long as he's close to Paperboy, his gravy train keeps running. And that's what I think is kind of so genius about the fact that not only does he have the phone, but he throws the phone away because he doesn't give a fuck if Paperboy ever makes another good song again. He just doesn't. So you feel like he stole the phone because... If Paperboy, if Paperboy has that phone, gets that phone back, Socks knows he doesn't need it. Like Socks, and also I think Socks is a little bit. He felt othered in the beginning of the episode when Darius. I just Darius, wanted to make you say it again because you was in your bag. That was like, like I just wanted like, to make Darius, you say it again because you you was in your bag. That whole thing. God damn, we in our bag on this podcast. Yeah, man. I wonder, if, I wonder if this is how. I, I wonder if this is how uh, how Sean Fantasy feels. <laughs> this is how he feels all the time. It's like when he if, like when you say you bring up a movie, he's like, I've watched that movie five times. This is what happens. It, like that's how he nah, that's not what Sean does. You bring up a movie and Sean goes, interestingly enough, <laughs> I actually read a book by the second AD on that film. <laughs> yeah, the second AD on that film uh wrote a book, like wrote a book. I'm like, how the fuck did you have time to do all the other shit and read the book that the second AD wrote? God damn. <laughs> yeah, you just be standing like, God damn, I'm never going to get to this level. But here's well, the thing. Whoa, go, whoa, whoa, if you whoa, go whoa. back to the first... What? Come on now. We do our thing over here. Don't, don't, <laughs> Shout don't do that, picture. Charles. One of my favorite Shout pods. But, mm-hmm. but um, think about it. He felt othered when Darius and Paperboy are making fun of the strip club. Well, they're mm-hmm. like, we ain't going back to there. And I think yeah. that's the moment where he, like, once Paperboy leaves, he steals the phone because he's just like, he realizes, like, oh, I'm not one of them right now. Yeah, they don't not- actually need me. And the minute that they lose the phone, he gets closer. They don't he worry gets about closer him. And he and and he gets to he gets to flex and like be the hitter of the group. Yeah. Okay. See. Uh, okay. Look, you guys, we've given you 46 minutes on the, on Atlanta. We we gave you some tangents, whatever. But Atlanta is a show that delves into the black experience, and I don't know, uh, but me and and Charles are both black. We are the Black Panthers. Oh, I mean, I, the the reason I like this recording with you because it's like 
we don't agree on everything. And sometimes you change my mind. Sometimes I'll say something like, oh, no, that's not right. And I think that's actually something that I love about Atlanta. Even if I don't agree with all the race shit that they do a lot of times, I'm just like, yo, the Black experience is not monolithic. Like, I want to see what other Black people, how they feel. Like, Black women write on this show. Black men write on this show. People from, like, immigrants, whatever. Like, I want to see what they think about the Black experience, even if I don't agree. Because it just shows you how beautiful black life is so that's why it's, it's dope you know last question before i go yeah it seems like we're getting back to the main narrative do you want another abstract episode like three slaps or the big payback at some point in the season i think they have to i think they have to give it to us but they need to rock with the main narrative i i think they need another like three episodes that are just with paperboy darius urn and van because pacing wise it's thrown a lot of the audience off this season, not having them in the first five episodes, only having three episodes where everybody's in. I don't know about you. Like, I like those episodes, but they need to give us a little bit more plot. I want another one. I'm not going to lie. So soon? Uh, not not so soon. They could, they could save it. I feel like they're going to do something crazy, like make the season finale. Uh... <laughs> you know what I mean, I mean, they could uh, make but, the penultimate episode something like that, and I would rock with it. But I just need yeah. a few more episodes with the Paperboys shit. I get it. I get it. I can't hate on it. Okay, he is Charles Holmes uh, of the Ringer Music Show, and of course, the Midnight Boys. Pew pew. I am Van Lathan of Higher Learning, and uh, the <laughs> I'm Van Lathan of Higher Learning and the Midnight <laughs> Boys. Pew pew. I just got so many Atlanta things in my head. Uh, our producer on this is Jonathan Little Spidey Kerma. Uh, and if you want to know why his name is Jonathan Little Spidey Kerma, you can cut, head on over to the Ringerverse and learn the origin story of Little Spidey and how he deals with the reality where none of his friends remember who he is. It's very sad. Look, you guys, loving covering this show. It's fantastic. Um, that is our podcast for episode five of Atlanta Cancer Attack. We will be back next week to cover more Atlanta, to talk a little bit more about it, to talk a little bit more about the real-life threads this show. This podcast right here, the Prestige Podcast about Atlanta, isn't just about the show itself. It's about the conversations that the show can spark, and I think you got some of that on this episode. Uh, Chuck, you got anything to say before we Hell get out? Yeah. Oh, no, I just love doing this podcast with you. Make sure you tap in to the Midnight Boys. Pew, pew! And yo, pew, we'll pew. see you next week. Next week. Bye-bye.